Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and co-parents of all ages, this podcast is for you. Introducing in the center ring the amicable divorce expert, Judith Weigel. Who doesn't want to be happy? I certainly do. Laverne Paris certainly does. Our guest today, who is a happiness coach, a life coach. She got her law degree, but she didn't go down that path, which we almost have to say, thank God. So many attorneys, Laverne, aren't happy. I know. Yeah, fighting doesn't make you happy. It really doesn't. So we can't do that. But the reason why Laverne is here is somehow lately, I've been getting people who write about happiness coming to me somehow, somewhere in different organizations I belong to and through the podcast, people connect me. So I think there's a greater message here for even me to get happy. But Laverne, the question to you is, how happy are you? How did you get there? And why are you writing about it? Oh, Judith, first of all, thank you so much for having me. And such great questions. And I always think about and look at the signs and the synchronicities. The fact that you're coming into contact with people who are focusing on happiness and joy shows that also you're in such a good place in your life because you're open to it and you're picking up on it. And how did I get here? Hmm, What a journey. All right, let me start off by saying I've been a caregiver most of my life. Um, I have a brother with special needs and autism and He's my inspiration. He gives me my courage to pursue my dreams because every day, every single day, no matter what my brother has gone through, and his life has been very challenging, he chooses happiness. He chooses joy. And all he does is try to give and look out for others. So my brother laid the foundation for me. And being his caregiver has been a joy and also an awakening in terms of looking at disability rights. That's something that my family is very, 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 we advocate for it so much because when we think about our happiness, I think about my brother's community and his peers and how they have to fight on a daily basis for dignity, just for people to even see them and acknowledge their presence. So that always brings me back to a place of groundedness and at the same time, determination. So that said, being a caregiver and getting to this point in my life, um, it has been the culmination of so many events because I wrote my book. um, I actually wrote it several years ago. And I put it- The the title of the book is The Happiness Handbooks. And it's actually- a book with many handbooks in it. So instead of chapters, they're called handbooks, right? Yes, exactly. All right, so the happiness handbooks, go ahead. Yes, the happiness handbooks. I started writing it about, I want to say almost 10 years ago, and I put it down, picked it up, put it down, picked it up, and then I just put it down because at that point, I really had the idea in my head, okay, it's time to to pass the bar, (laughs) right? So I put myself on this, untenable schedule of waking up at four o'clock every day to get to work for about five thirty six, so I could study for two hours before teaching and taking the bar multiple times. And yes, the discipline was incredible. It showed me what I was capable of, but my joy level was subterranean. I mean, I was so miserable because I wasn't sleeping. I was exhausted and I was still, you know, caring for my family, uh, my mother, my brother, and working full time. So I had to just finally put that aside and say, you know what? The law degree is enough for me because I never really intended to practice law. So I had to go back to that place w- of questioning myself. What really makes me happy? It was never that. It was always, studying law was a means to an end. And then I said, you know, let me pick up the book again, because I always remembered as a child, the things that brought me the greatest joy were writing and drawing. I, I mean, I have never been so happy as when I was writing and drawing and just putting pencil to paper and creating things. And I said, okay, it's time for that again. And 
doing that solidified to me my need to just fulfill my dreams and also um, a breakup, <laughs> a devastating breakup. Um, but so let me rewind. A man from my past came back. I met him when I was 17 years old. Um, he came back almost 40 years later. Uh, we got back in touch. He said, Laverne, this is it. This is our second chance. We can be together. We can have a life together. I was all in, Judith. I was all in. Well, I'm all in now, too. It sounds great to me. Right? It sounds yeah. amazing. To reconnect that magic of knowing someone from from your childhood. There's nothing like it. It's almost like, you know, it's like walking on air with crystals around you, right? So... <laughs> So here he he comes ta- saying that we're going to be together and we're going to find a way. And we were literally planning, okay, you're going to spend this amount of time in South Africa and I'm going to spend this amount of time in New York. That's what he said. And I bought a ticket to go see him. This was in the new year. And I really believe that things that happen in the new year do shape your year. So after that, um, I got the ticket. We talked about it. Then silence, radio silence. He ghosted me and I called him out. I said, listen, you know, if you're involved in a toxic relationship with your ex, just tell me, but don't lie to me and tell me you can't do this because to come back after that amount of time, that many decades, it's, it's dynamic. There's an energy. So something had to happen. Okay. But there's and, a giant missing piece in the story. Exactly. So <laughs> what, what toxic relationship? What, why okay. did you just bring that up? Was he not divorced yet? He was never married. He had an ex-girlfriend, but he was adopting her daughter. Now, the only reason to adopt someone's child is if you're still emotionally involved with them in some capacity. I mean, to take that type of responsibility on, I said, listen, just tell me the truth. And he wouldn't tell me. So we ended things. So in the span of seven weeks, Judith, I had a boyfriend, a fiance, and a breakup. And that was in February. My birthday was in March. And I said, it's time. It's time to pick up these books, finish them, follow through. I have to get back to that place of making my myself happy. Because okay, I'm doing a timeout again. I'm sorry, Laverne. That's okay. Because there's these little bombs that you're dropping, and I want to let you finish what you're saying, but I can't wait too long because I need to circle back. I understand. The relationship was seven weeks, and you were ready to make it permanent when he yes. ghosted you? Well, because... Yes, he was talking about permanency, engagement, us being together because we never got the chance when we were younger. And he had tracked me down prior to to, to this past year. He had tracked me down about mm, seven years ago and he called, we, we, we spoke. But then he got a little upset with me when I brought up, you know, a friend of ours, this other man who I think they had a falling out. They, they're no longer friends. But then reconnecting with him and seeing the depth of our conversations and feeling the connection, I said, you know, I'm tired of superficial relationships. You know, I want a man who's known me, who's always appreciated me, and I've always appreciated him. So we're willing to travel to see each other, get to know each other again. But from that foundation of already having known each other and that was it. Except that you knew each other before you had developed as adults. Yes. See, that's the thing. And that I'd like to explore that a minute, if you don't mind, because this is about happy relationships. This is about being happy. And who doesn't want to be, right? Nobody says, I'd love the most unhappy relationship I could possibly <laughs> And then they go about doing it. So nobody does that. But... Only because I've done this podcast for three and a half years, and on a daily basis, I get people divorced as a mediator and, uh, you know, a, a, a legal document person. There is no way we can know somebody in seven weeks. We can fall in love in five minutes. We can feel this unbelievable wash and glow of happiness. But until we spend time with somebody and we look at each other through different life circumstances, challenges, situations, and we get to see how we each make decisions and then, you know, trust develops and consistency, there's no way 
we should be engaging in any kind of relationship. So I have to say that uh, as somebody who listens to these stories on a daily basis and talks to therapists and all these different people, and isn't it funny though, any of us in the business of relationships and divorce and happiness and coaching and all this, we are no different than anybody else. When somebody says to us, you're the best thing that I've met since any kind of chocolate, ice cream, candy, you are the best thing. I mean, we want to hear this. Yes. We yeah. need to hear these things. We live to hear these things, right? Uh, Judith, you hit the nail on the head. We are no different. That is the, that is the, the factor, the common factor. We are human. We need that feeling, that connection, that euphoria, that, that it, cause that's what it was. And good work. Fact, it, oh my God. I was, I was on clouds every day. It was, it was, it was sick. I didn't even need sleep. Yeah, <laughs> no. So you Boy, know, I get it. I get it. <laughs> oh my God. So I was so ready. And that's the thing. You're absolutely right. There was no way we could know each other, but the willingness to try to start again that's what, what, it, what it was, the willingness to see where it could go. And, you know, when that was taken, when he took it, let me be clear, when he took that away, I said, okay, I can't count on anyone else. Well, he, it doesn't sound, Laverne, like he was ready for a real committed relationship, does it? No, he wasn't. I think he wanted the fantasy. So that's, and that's a great question because now we get to the point of fantasy versus reality and happiness can be in reality, but there's a distinction. And I'm so glad you said that because he was into the fantasy of the reconnection as opposed to the actual reconnection, which would take some work, which would take challenging conversations, but real communications and check-in, you know, none of this, oh, I wish, I hope. No, I'm here. You're here. How are we going to do this? But I don't think he was up for it. So I'm so glad you said that. Okay. And here's another thing. Um, long distance relationships. How, how are they even workable if you're not together? Honestly, Judith, I, uh, they, I've been in long distance relationships. One of my exes, Michael, we were together five years. We were long distance for two to three killed the relationship where we weren't together and just us not being together. There was no consistency. There were no real conversations because it was always catch up. Well, how was your week? What did you do this week? How do you feel about this? How do you feel? There, there was no equal give and take because we were always trying to come to that place where we could talk about what happened to us, but not what, we were you could not experience life together. That's what was missing. And that's what's missing with so many long, long distance relationships. I mean, this is tough. So the world has changed so much in the last two and a half years, right? With this uh, dreaded COVID thing. Um, some things have happened that are good and, and some changes are good, but other changes have really distanced us even more, I think. Agreed. I really, I feel that the pandemic, especially um, my full-time job as an educator, having taught remotely as compared in comparison to teaching in person, the remote experience um, left the students um, extremely debilitated. And I say that because when they returned to the classroom, I had panic attacks. Um, I experienced student panic attacks literally at least four times a day. Oh my gosh. For the first three months, at least four times a day. I'd have to walk them to the guidance counselor. I would just take them aside and say, are you okay? Do you want to take a walk? And luckily the guidance counselor's office is almost next door to mine. So it wasn't an issue, but literally four times a day for the first three months. (laughs) I can't breathe. I just need a break. I I can't do this. It was so challenging for the students. And then I'm thinking, how are adults managing? Because students and adults, really the only difference is age, but in terms of handling challenging emotions, not much different. And so when I talked to my colleagues upon returning, they were having issues. We're all having a certain amount of fear, anxiety about 
being back in person with no real guidance. I mean, the administration you, told me. Were you afraid of getting sick because you were engaged again physically? Yes, because during the pandemic, and I'm so glad you asked that, I was caring for my mother who was going through stage four cancer, um, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And we didn't have a home health aid. We were doing everything ourselves, caring for her during her chemo, taking her to appointments. And my mom um, was immunocompromised. So I was very concerned about being around um, just large groups, period. And I would be, I would wear my mask, but still, I didn't want to bring home anything to my mother. And then I had colleagues who recently had had children or were also caregivers because a lot of people became caregivers during the pandemic. And yeah, yeah, there was, yeah. So there was that, that main, that umbrella of anxiety about, oh my God, am I safe? Will my family be safe? So that was part of it. And then being back in the classroom and the procedures. So I found that the pandemic changed interactions in the sense that in some ways they became more honest. I, I felt like with my students, with my colleagues and myself, I felt that I was more able to share and say, you know, I need this or this isn't working for me. I'm having a hard time because of the pandemic and caring for my mother and, and my brother and just feeling that sense of, I think, how can I do all of this? And after that, after the pandemic and returning to the classroom and then this experience with Henrik, I said, okay, the way I can do this is to get back to my joy because that gave me such a great foundation. Just drawing, I pick up my little book, make some characters or I write a night down, just being in touch with that information. So is that, is that, I mean, that's great. And I love that you came full circle with this. So is that when you finished the happiness handbooks and God? Yes. After Henrik, after Henrik in March, my birthday, that was my present to myself. I find everything was finalized. I had to um, get in touch with my publisher, um, Ex Libris. And then I reconnected with a a branding coach um, that I've been working with and both entities, the branding coach and my publisher put me on such um, a structured path of, okay, this, you need this deliverable by this date. You have to do this in order to get there. So I needed that structure because of my schedule. So it, it fulfilled me in a way that that magic and euphoria of Henrik never could because it was coming from inside. You know, I said, and okay. you talk about this, about real happiness coming from within in, in a certain place in this book. So I want to ask you a general question first, and then I want to ask you about some things that you talk about in the book. But, but just in general, Laverne, mm-hmm. why aren't people happy who aren't happy? You know, Judith? That is such a great question. And I can talk from my experience and from the people, you know, my acquaintances, my friends. I feel and I know I was trying to live up to other people's expectations. I thought mistakenly embraced the belief that, okay, when I pass the bar, everything's going to be great. Um, When I do this, everything's going to be great. But it was those ideas came from other people. Even Teaching fulfills me to a certain extent, but it doesn't give me the joy that I feel when I'm creating. So I found even talking to colleagues, for example, I have a colleague, he works at a charter school. Not happy. Okay. But also in a place, very difficult place for him to get out of bed. And I said, well, Toby, do you, ooh, said his name. Um, I said, do you want to try something else? No, no, this is what I have to do. And I said, but I said, who's telling you that? I said, and and what about what you want? What fulfills you? So I found that in his conversation and other people and myself, I was looking outside of myself. I was looking outside of myself for happiness. And when I got to that place where I could remember my childhood joy and recapture that feeling, I said, this is it. This is the only thing aside from my my deep connections where with 
the people in my life that are fulfilling, this relationship with myself, answering my call, listening to that voice that was always said, this is it. You're, you're joyful. I mean, that, that to me was the pivotal moment. That's where I saw, okay, I was looking outside of myself and I had to admit it and accept it and then move on from it. Like, it's okay. We're all to a certain extent programmed in a certain way by society, by others in society to say, okay, the nine to five is the way doing this is the way hearing those outside voices as opposed to what's in our hearts, what's really in our hearts that, and we remember. And if we don't remember what made us happy as a child, we can think about what makes us happy right now. What is something that makes us happy right now? Because, you know, when I was a child, I hated to work in the garden with my mother and pull up the weeds and do all that stuff. Now I love it. We, we garden together. We do things together. But what ha- makes you happy right now? If you, if you, if, someone doesn't have that memory, what makes you feel free right now? And, and, and so content with who you are, just who you are in that moment, as opposed to all the outside chatter. Okay. So we have two sides to our life. We have our personal side and we have our career side, the way we make money side. So I'll call it career. And we need to shore up both sides of our life. Um, So in the personal side of our lives, we may have relationships that don't work for us. And I'm not talking about intimate relationships. I mean, friends. I mean, even family. I mean, we don't get to choose our family, but we do have to deal with them. Do we have to accept everybody in our family? Can we keep some people at bay and minimize the time if they compromise our happiness? What do you think? Yeah, Judith, the last, um, the last, I think, idea, concept that you said hit the nail on the head. We cannot choose our family but we can minimize contact with certainly family, certain family members who suck our joy, um, suck our energy. And we all have them. We all are. Yes, we do. <laughs> so yes, um, we can keep it to a minimum. Um, interactions, keep them to a minimum. And certain points for myself with a family member who, you know, I have challenges with. I keep things short, simple, and I try and stay positive, but I don't try to fix anyone. So let's focus on that for just a second. So in our personal lives, I here's one way I detect whether somebody is healthy for me to be around. I find that it's difficult having a conversation that is open and relaxed. I feel on edge I feel drained of energy. I feel like it's just too tough to try and enjoy an experience with this person. And it doesn't mean the person is a bad person. No. It just means, and I finally came to this, you know, just in the last few years, it just means that our energies aren't connecting for some reason. And you have to kind of sit back and figure out why your energies aren't connecting, if you can, but then don't stress over it, just minimize the time. Okay, now we go over to what we earn, how, how we earn a living, how we sustain ourselves and our careers. And this is the hardest of all, I think. And part of the happiness handbook really addresses that. Um, so you have the personal side in the handbook, you have the professional side, and you've just expressed in your own life the professional side of you is better served in a very creative way, drawing, writing. What do we do though, practically, if we, like we did during the pandemic, we were paid to stay at home? Okay, great. People soul searched. That's why we're having such a tough time in business recruiting people because people don't go, want to go back to the jobs they didn't like that they just did because they had to earn a living. And in their heads, there'll be something else next year. There'll be something else in six months. This is only for the time being and the time being last 10 years, 20 years, 15 years. 
So what do you do, though, if you don't have the savings and the Mm. financial net to allow you to turn your life around? What do you do? That's such a great question. And you're absolutely right, because not everyone has that. I and I know because before I finished these books, what I started doing was in my classes with my students, I would make every project some type of creative project. And I teach science. So I would have them create posters. I would create a certain format for them. You have to make a poster with this. You have to have this written information. But here you get to be creative and draw whatever you like. And I then would demonstrate and make a poster. i say, I'm going to show you. And I would do it myself. So I would take those, those steps, those little steps. And you, little or big, whatever you can do in your career, in your time, something where where a person can be expressive and, and, and shine that light that's within. So my students created these amazing posters, these amazing covers for whatever written work they did. But I got fulfillment from that, providing that artistic foundation. And I'm talking, this was like, this was about 10, 12 years ago. And it kept me going. So sometimes it's a matter of putting that energy in the direction you want enough to keep you going until you get to that next point where maybe you can do a little more or maybe you could after school programs sometimes some after school programs I had were creative or if it's not with the school with another maybe a local organization that a, a mentoring program for young people or adults going back to school who want to be creative but something somewhere that makes us feel good that we are listening to our inner voice, our hearts. So you just said something that was really great. And that was that within the jobs that we have now, if we need them, if we don't have that financial safety net to draw from so that we can redirect our careers, we can look to see if we can put elements of what we find joyful outside of our jobs, if we can kind of put elements of that inside of the jobs we have now to sustain us until we can turn ourselves around. And then while we're doing that, put as much money aside as you can. Don't get the pastry you always get on the way to work. Guilty as charged, self-charging. That's all right. Um, But, you know, start saving money so that you can redirect. Life is extremely short. When you get to a certain age, all of a sudden you get, oh, that's what they mean when they say life is short. You know, so let's get happy now. Okay. So the very beginning of your book, though, you talk about getting out, getting out of toxic relationships. And because this is a divorce podcast, let's, let's go to that. Um, first of all, let's talk about why you get into toxic relationships in the first place before we can talk about getting out of them. Yes. Why? There's, I mean, there's more than one reason, but can you start talking about why we allow toxic relationships into our lives? Completely, Judith. And I can talk from my, what I did. One of my exes, for example, he, when I met him, it was amazing. But then a few weeks later, he revealed to me that he had four children. Four. From two different women, and that's fine. But he lied to me, I think it was, I found out literally three to four weeks later. And I got into that relationship because I needed something. I needed something that I wasn't going within to find. So I looked outside of myself and Jerry, oops, said his name. Um, he, he was very... Um, that's okay. We don't have millions of listeners yet. Okay. So you're good. You're good. Okay. Um, he was very charming. And at that time, I really needed the intimacy. I really needed some, I really needed the intimacy because, you know, of the caregiving. I just, I wanted something of my own and whatever every, anyone's reason is, it's different, but I wanted something of my own. And even if it was unhealthy, I was going to hold on to it <laughs> because it was mine. And, you know, and then so it was, honest. that's yes, so honest I, of you. Oh my goodness. I wanted it. And I didn't care. I was just like, it's mine. I need it. I need a break. I need something to do after school. 
after, you know, teaching all day, after being at home and caring for others, I wanted it, it's mine. I'm going to keep it. It was not right for me. And this L is for loser. But, um, but I did it because I wanted it. And then, you know, the signs kept happening. And after a while, I just said, I don't want to do this anymore. I, I could not stop listening to the, the inner voice that was telling me it was wrong. In the beginning, it was easier to quiet the inner voice that was telling me it wasn't healthy for me because I got caught up in, in you know, the physical relationship. I got caught up in the sex. And endorphins are incredible. They make us do the most ridiculous things. <laughs> but I said no more after a while. I mean, so understandable. And, and I think you just said the, the basic reason why any of us allow that to happen is we have certain needs oh and God. generally they're physical. Yeah. And that's what it is. It, it, the, how do I put this? Um, only because I've been in the divorce field for 10 years mm -hmm. and through the podcast have talked to so many different experts in their field, did I realize what love bombing was when it happened to me a few years ago? Or I would have sustained a very uh, toxic relationship that, that didn't didn't uh, help me at all. It was just fun immediately. But again, because I'm in this field and I paid attention, I said, okay, red flags, there are a ton of red flags here. Uh, this is not, this is inappropriate for knowing you five minutes. This is seriously inappropriate. Why are you doing this? And then I, you know, I just took a step back and I said, Okay, so you need a relationship even more than I do. <laughs> and you don't know me and the, the way you're talking to me is inappropriate. But you know what? It's never about, you can never blame the other person though. It's always about coming to terms with what our needs are and why we're making the choices we're making based on our needs. So there's yeah. no judgment here. We all do this. We all make incorrect choices based on immediate pleasure. Oh, my God. Yes. The way we are. So, yes. in fact, in, in Burbank, near the movie studios, there's this donut place called Donut Prince. They have killer donuts, Ooh. by the way. Uh, it's on Olive Ave. And so I went there one morning because their slogan is, don't get divorced, get a donut. So they believe in feeding the pleasure. Genius. I, I Genius. Was, and their donuts, by the way, are incredible. I have to do a podcast interview with them. Okay, so here's my message to, to, to everybody, and, and you can chime in on this or not, and how you handle it. I think you handle it quite well in your book. But we all, a lot of us, not all of us, but a lot of us are going to fall into relationships that aren't healthy for us. And that's fine. As long as they don't destroy our lives, we learn from them. But don't blame the other person. And it, just don't. It's so not worth blaming the other person because you're impeding your own progress oh, and development. Are we not? Yes, Judith. I could not agree more. On Judith, everything about our reasons for getting into a relationship come back to us. I had to look at what I needed and what I was willing to block out, pretend didn't exist so I could get that fix. I wanted to be with him. I wanted to feel good. And I was willing to pretend that I didn't see um, the 10 red flags. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I, the minute I was just honest with myself, you're absolutely right. Blaming other people gets in the way of our growth. We need to grow. And to grow, growth hurts. Growth is not always fun. There aren't all these rainbows and puppy dogs and ice cream around. But that growth will get us to where we need to be. And sometimes that's, most times for me, it was away from that relationship and to get closer to myself, to love myself. Yeah, yeah. And, and to be happy just being who you are. That's right. Your life every day, all day. In the second handbook, 
chapter mm-hmm. handbook. Um, mm-hmm. You talk about courage and the phrase I pulled out of it was claim your courage. Can yeah. you talk about courage a little bit more, please, and how this works with happiness? Judith, thank you so much for asking that because I found for me to be happy, I had to fight my fear, the fear of, for example, releasing these books, um, the fear of not doing what people expected expected from me. So I had to claim it. I had to say, after Henrik, it's interesting, the fears disappeared, but I had concerns and I said, no, I'm going to turn it around. So I turned the fear into something else, something that I could deal with. I said, okay, if I'm afraid, why am I afraid of, for example, releasing these books? Well, what if this doesn't happen? What if, no. I changed the what if statements as to, well, why can't I become financially free? Or why can't I break free from my nine to five? You know, I turned them into other statements and claiming courage it's, it's, it's an active, it's an action step. It's not something where I wish. No, it's like, I'm going to do this because I need to fulfill this inside of me. I need to know what's going to happen. Regardless of what anyone else thinks, even the outcome, I need to know for myself because regrets, regrets take so much time from us. And that's why in the book, I say fears take years. They do. They take years from us. They take years from us trying something. They take years from us expressing ourselves. They take years from us communicating honestly with other people because we're afraid. And it's okay to be afraid. I'm not talking about being fearless because to me, I feel that that's not reality. Fears are real, but how we deal with them is even more real. So I'm talking about courage, that, that, that point where you're facing your fear, where you're saying, nope, I'm going to do it and I'm going to learn. And um, that contributed to my happiness, knowing that, okay, I got over that, or I pushed through that. Um, was I perfect? No, because I, I, that's another word I can't stand. Perfect. There's no such thing as perfection. There's progress. There's growth. There's lessons. You know, there are learning experiences, but that was it. I, I said, yeah, I did that. And I overcame. And that to me gives me such joy knowing that I can do something that I was afraid of or that something that was hard for me, I faced it. So claiming courage, yes, definitely contributes to happiness. Yeah. Because we have to live with ourselves. Well, yes. And I think just when we started this conversation and you said that with all of the amazing educational, professional accomplishments you had. I mean, even going to law school is a big deal. Sitting for the bar is a whole different issue. We should all ask Kim Kardashian about that. That's another podcast episode. I do keep up with the Kardashians. And this thing about going to law school and taking the baby bar, I mean, I'm, uh, I'm surrounded by attorneys. So we're all a little baffled about what she's talking about. Although I think she's going to do fabulous things in social justice. I actually think that's where her heart is. And I have a lot of um, hope that she can be influential with her fame. And kindness. I think she's a very kind person. She appears to be hugely kind. So I'm hoping that she's using that for good. But I I look at, you know, who she's fighting for to get out of jail. I mean, this is, these are people that supposedly have been uh, improperly convicted and good for her for using her fame and her influence to help people that can't afford the right. right representation. So I love her for that. I love her for that. Yeah, and good um, for you for shouting her out, you know, because she's trying to do something good. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, uh, it's so interesting about people who go to law school. Once they're there, half of them hate it. Because it's oh my not God, natural. I was one of them. It's no. not natural, is it? To think the way you have to think as an attorney, especially a litigator, it's unnatural to have to be that angry and oh that fight driven all the time. And Judith, to your point, my twin sister says, she told me, Laverne, I don't even bother arguing with you since law school. Haven't you noticed? Because I always have to win. And I didn't even know I was doing that. And I was one of the people who was miserable in law school. And that mindset, that behavior still rubs off. 
I didn't even know I was doing it. She's like, I don't even bother arguing with you because you always have to win. And you know, and, and, and lawyers don't know that. And I've heard that so often um, from the kids of lawyers to the spouses of lawyers. And they don't even want to bother. It's not worth it. And what a drag that if you're a lawyer, nobody wants to talk to you. Nobody, talk to you. You know, here, pay, pay for dinner. And that's it. That's that's because you have the money. But 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 the courage to switch when you've prepared yourself for something is a really big deal. Letting people down is a big deal. You know, a lot of people that if their parents paid for school, they don't want to let them down, but they're miserable. So we don't really know what's going to make us happy until we try it. And it's so funny because people who are seriously wealthy, seriously accomplished business people are dreamers and they're not afraid to see if their dreams will work out. They just do it. They, they don't seem to care about failure. And so I'm wondering if we can just explore that a second and talk about, don't even care if you fail, who cares? Mm. Just try it. It doesn't matter. You know what, Judith? Because what I'm hearing is that the people who are successful, the dreamers, they're all about the experience, the experience, the process and the learning and the growing. Because once we take failure out of our minds, that worry about failure, we a whole new world of, of, of possibilities opens up and connections and and learning about ourselves, about the process that we're going through. And it becomes this, this synergy. There's a synergy that becomes a synergistic experience where you're feeling the energy of what you're putting out there and you're getting energy back because you're doing what you love and you're connecting with people who appreciate it. So when they say, when you say failure doesn't matter to them, I agree wholeheartedly because they're in it. They're in this experience of doing what they love and feeling that dynamic energy. And is everything we do going to be successful? Successful in terms of learning about ourselves and the process and other people? Definitely. And it depends on how we define success because is it always, is it the way that other people see it? To me, success is being free, having time to create, creating full time, working with people who have a shared vision and we can help each other grow. That's success. And of course, living debt-free and all that great, because that will come. But to feel that energy all the time, because I want to do something, because it brings me happiness, that's success. And I don't mean, you know, waking up without an alarm clock, because sometimes I wake up with an alarm clock so I can do what I love. You know, during the summer, I woke up with, I woke up with an alarm clock because I wanted to. Or I woke up before the alarm clock because I wanted to, because I was getting ready to sketch. I was getting ready to write. Um, so what you're saying about failure is absolutely correct. They're not concerned with that. They're in their moment and in their joy, sharing with others. And that's so beautiful. I can't wait. <laughs> and and they're, they're in their dream. They have a dream. They know what they want to accomplish. Um, they're risk takers. And... And, and and they move forward. Not everything works out. Some parts okay. of it do, some parts of it don't. And, um, you know, they just move forward from there. So another part of this, I think, mm-hmm. in terms of, because uh, you mentioned this in the book, turning your dreams into reality, mm-hmm. uh, it, it's, it, it's trial and error. It's mm-hmm. give and take. It's trial and error. And that's all good and fine. You have to kind of have fun with the trial and error part. But there's something that we don't naturally do as people. And I have found lately with me that I've been doing it. And that is recognizing your unique skills and talents and talking about them. That's right, Judith. You're absolutely right. And it's so, you know, and I wonder too if it's, 
I don't know if it's our generation or because I see young people on, on TikTok and all these places. They're so comfortable blowing themselves up and saying, I'm great at this. And even my students, I'm good at this. And it's very freeing. It's very freeing to, to claim a gift and say, I'm good at this and I want to share it. And I look at my, my students inspire me in that way. Cause like, yeah, miss, I got this. I'm great at it. I'm, All right, go ahead. Yeah, you are. Can you teach me? You know what I mean? It's a beautiful thing. And you're right. That's part of being joyful is saying, I can do this and I want to show you how, or let's share. It's, it's not keeping your gift locked inside. Yes. Um, when I, 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 I'm a seven year gal Every seven years, I, I need to do something new, add something new to what I'm doing or completely do something new. And somehow there's a big shift in life for me. Uh, and I, I don't even know it's the seven year mark. And this big shift in life happens. And I'm like, wait a minute, it's been seven years ago that I started what I'm doing now. And look at the change that's being offered to me. Very interesting. So there's a, this is a whole different discussion about there's a seven-year cycle that people yes, have talked about. Definitely. Do you know anything about this? Can you address that then? Yes. I didn't think you did. What? I have heard, yes, I have heard that every seven years is a new life cycle. So once seven years have passed, you start a new cycle. So the fact that you're doing that naturally, you're tuned in to your own growth and I feel like ascension, you know, because every seven years, literally there's a shift within us. And I think also within our energy fields. I mean, that movie with Marilyn Monroe and was it Jack Lemmon, the the seven year itch and and Tony Curtis. Um, You know, I, I just remember that every time. So I, with me, um, the podcast started three and a half years ago because I needed something else to add to the divorce business. Those of you getting divorced, I was happy getting you divorced. Any of you who have hired me to do that. But there's a point in time where you just need to add to that so that you're not drained by other people's sadness and sorrow. Um, and any caregiving profession has to do that. Therapists have to do that. Doctors have to do that. I guess educators and caregivers have to do that. You you have to do something that balances that energy you're using when other people need it, you know, when other people are in need of somebody else. And so, so I started the podcast three and a half years ago, and it's been to my benefit to meet wonderful people like you. And then last year in July, I said, you know what? I want to be a public speaker. That This is how I want to take everything I've learned in the divorce business and everything I've learned in life, because I'm elderly now and I can do that. Um, I just turned 70 last month, so I'm completely... Oh, yeah now in a whole different category of life, which is how I know, oh God, life is short. Um, And I found myself with a group of people, public speakers, who were much like entertainers. And I spent most of my career producing entertainment, selling entertainment, marketing, live entertainment. I've always worked with live entertainment. And there's an honesty you have to have when you're putting an act together. When you're putting a team of people together around you to help you produce your show, your song, your recording, your whatever, um, everybody has to be super honest or the yeah. it's not going to be the greatest performance ever. And you have to fine-tune that act, that performance so much and it's it's never perfect you know in your own mind it's never perfect and you have to keep editing yourself i found myself in this group of speakers who are so nurturing so willing to help one another and i found myself really talking about my value as a speaker my ability to connect with people my warmth my engagement and i can't use it to its full extent when i'm divorcing people 
right, Judith? I can't. It's not the right place to do it. No, no. And I'm so, it's so important that you recognize that because in our initial conversation, that was the first thing I noticed. I'm like, wow, you're a natural. Of course you need to be doing this public speaking because just the way that you set the tone of respect and active listening, um, that to me is exactly what a public speaker needs to do. You need to draw people in. And I was so excited to hear you say that you're doing that because it's, it's not only is it time, it's what you've been doing and now you're going to do it like in a broader sense. And here, and here I'll go step two on this. And this literally is for everybody listening as well. You have to use your best judgment at the end of the day in terms of how you want to shape yourself mm-hmm. and present yourself. And here's what I mean. I have never worked in corporate America. I've always worked for smaller entertainment companies or I've started my own small business. I don't, I'm not the normal corporate speaker. I can't tell you from my experience how you should change your corporate world because I come from a corporate world, but here's what I can do. I can give you innovation that rattles cages because I come from the circus. And that's one of my circus metaphors that I used in my book, My Office is a Three-Ring Circus, which I wrote, by the way, in 2005. Wow. And I didn't know what to do with it. I wrote it as a credential to do public speaking because I sat down, and this is about identifying what makes you happy. Around 2004-ish, I said to myself, if I could just do one thing that could earn a good living and that would make me happy, happy, what's that one thing I would do? And I said, well, talk. I just love to talk. I just really, I like engaging people in talking and I like to talk. So when you're a public speaker, nobody really interrupts you. You get to just talk. Who doesn't love that, right? That's right. (laughs) When you're in a podcast, you're a listener and a talker. And I don't mind doing that either because as a mediator, listening has such value. Mm -hmm. But just to sit down, you did that with yourself. You know, Mm -hmm. what really makes me happy? Drawing and writing. And everybody does, you know, if everybody could ask themselves that question, forget about how you earn a living at it. Yeah. What's that one thing you can do that you would just love to do naturally? And then you figure out how do you make money at it? That's the second part. And that's where you get to be innovative. That's where you get to shape this thing to be an extension of you. Now, with your book, an extension of you, because we're audio, not video, although we're going to have your picture up. Where do you come from? What's your culture? Yes. Oh, okay. I was born in Jamaica, St. Thomas, Jamaica, in the West Indies. I grew up in the Bronx um, until I was eight years old. And then we moved to Long Island. And then I've literally lived in every borough except Staten Island. So I lived in Manhattan, Queens, Brooklyn, the Bronx, Washington Heights, Harlem, Lower East Side, um, Chelsea. I've lived everywhere, all almost everywhere in New York. And yeah. Okay, but, but I want to go back to why I asked about culture. Sure. So I asked you to identify your culture because when I initially spoke with you, Mm-hmm. I did not have your book in my hands at the time. I asked you to send it to me before I, I, I would do the interview. I wanted to read it. I always read everybody's books first. And it does have a an illustration of you on the cover. And I can tell that your skin is brown. And then I found out where you're from. And I said, okay, well, that's, that's your culture. So we're talking about... West Indian, is that how, is that what we say? Or a combination? Yeah, people say West Indian, Caribbean, and, or they, typically people from the Caribbean name their country. So I was born in Jamaica, but if I had been born in Trinidad or Guyana or St. Kitts, 
People usually definitely specify their island. Yeah. Okay. Always specify their island. Okay. So then I'm reading the book and I get to the second half of it and I said, oh, her audience, and this is what I said, so I'm, I'm correcting myself by letting you say what your origin is. I said, I think this book is written for African-American women. I don't think, and that's when I emailed you and said, okay, I didn't realize this was niche specific, but can we broaden the topic, which is so easy to broaden the topic, because when I got to that part of the book where I said, oh, this is very niche specific, it was about accepting the way you looked. Yeah. yeah I don't care what country you come from. Don't women have an issue accepting the way they look? Yes. Complete. Judith, I'm so glad you wanted to broaden discussion because yes, I feel society places these unrealistic, burdensome expectations on women to look a certain way. And what Whatever our background is, the expectation is that we're a certain size, that we look the way that the media portrays women to look, which is that saying perfect. And it just, it's a prison. It's a prison of self, it prevents us from expressing ourselves. It prevents us from loving ourselves completely, unconditionally, and it prevents us from accepting other people because all we're doing is looking at the outside. The society is obsessed with the outer appearance, not about the heart, the compassion, the, the grace, the, the, the love of others, the generosity of spirit. It's, I feel that it places this burden on all women that, look, if you're not a certain way, we don't see you. And we've all experienced not being seen when we go out, when we go to a restaurant, when we go to the store, somewhere where people refuse to acknowledge our existence, our presence. And I, so I, I really have to just shout out body positive role models like Ashley Graham, Lizzo, anyone who loves themselves unconditionally, anyone who refuses to accept what society is saying, just because you don't look a certain way, or act a certain way does not mean that you are not a valid, amazing human being. You know, this prison that society places us in, we have to just shatter, shatter the doors, just break it down. We have to love ourselves unconditionally. And it's so unfortunate because so many emotional issues stem from body dysmorphia and, um, and then we see the symptoms, anorexia, bulimia, um, the, the list goes on and on, but it's really about how we feel about ourselves. And it's all women. We can all love ourselves. We're all amazing. Yes. And there's a, for me, there's a fine line between accepting ourselves and accepting unhealthy ways that we have. Mm. You know, so I, 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 I totally get about, um, you know, the expectation is to be thin. The expectation is to have straight hair. The expectation is to have a certain nose, which I mean, listen, my sister had her nose worked on. I liked her original nose a million times better than the new nose. I'm like, God, why did you do that to yourself? It was so gorgeous initially, but she likes the new nose. That made her feel good. That's where it's at. But, but there's nothing wrong with saying, okay, you know what? Um, I can look my best. I can be my best if I took care of this, that, or the other thing. So for me, there's a fine line between um, allowing society to dictate to us how we should look and not recognizing what we're doing that isn't healthy. Mm, you know, so there's, yeah. there's all this stuff going on. But at the end of the day, what I find fascinating is that women especially who are very comfortable with themselves, regardless of size, weight, whatever, they're so comfortable with themselves and they get people to go out with. They're oh, in yeah. a relationship. They get sent flowers at the office and they're not yeah. the best looking woman around. Why? 
because they project that inner energy of that's confidence. Right. That's right. And that's what's at. Yes, that's, that's right. Too. You're absolutely right. Because that's the way I feel about beauty. I feel that when people see us, they're beholding our energy. And when we love ourselves and we project that self-love, self-confidence, people are drawn in and people want to be around us. It's not about what we look, it's how we feel about ourselves. That love, that unconditional self-love and just being good to ourselves. There's nothing like it. It's the best magnet. And the opposite is you could be next to a drop dead, gorgeous woman. Yeah who's just not nice, oh who, who, who doesn't give you the right energy, right, doesn't dude. make you feel good and like, next. <laughs> Literally. Don't Literally. need it, next. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Don't want to be around that, that, that low vibration. It's awful. Okay, so what are you going to do with this going forward? So now we have the happiness handbooks. Laverne Harris, P-A-R-R-I-S. Everything will be, everything is in the show notes. But where are you going with this next, Laverne? Good, good question, Judith. Well, my goal, honestly, is I feel that this book can lead to, whoops, did you you see that? Uh, It fell. (laughs) No, my light. But um, I feel like this book can lead to other projects. I just feel like, for example, the Trump Checklist, did you see the chump checklist in the first one? Yes, I did. I glossed <laughs> over the word chump because this is the amicable divorce podcast. Oh, yes, you're I right. I not call people names. So no, I you can't. glossed over that. Yeah, no, you're right. I well, dealt with it by saying we can't blame other people for our choices. No, our you're right. Choices. And you're absolutely but go right. ahead. What do you want to talk? What did you want to say in the, in the no, checklist? I, I don't know. I just feel like that chump. That checklist is really funny and kind of fun. Well, and it's I, alliteration. It's, it's alliteration. Yes, yes alliteration. I have to be completely honest. I Several of my exes, I had to check about well, five, six boxes. I mean, I, I, I had to go through and be honest and say, all right, when I made that, every single one of them fit that category. It's in, in one of those, you know what I mean? So it wasn't out of the blues because I dated some chumps. But um, so where I want to go with this, I feel. I don't know. I feel like Judith, I honestly, I feel projects coming out of it. Um, writing projects because some of it's fun and humorous. And I also feel um, community coming out of it because some of the people on Instagram, some book bloggers are interested and they want to do stuff. So I'm open. I, I, I don't want to limit it. I just, I feel like Anything can happen. So you're a life coach. Now you're a life coach, right? And do you, part of your life coaching, I would assume, is using the information in the book. Yes, Judith. Yeah. 100% correct. All right. That's cool. That's really cool. Now, now this is, we're concluding now because it it has been almost an hour. So my head's time gone fast. But Happiness is a big topic now. Yes, it is. Yeah, it's huge. Yeah. So this is coming, you know, interesting. This is coming out at the right time. So this may have been, what, a 10, 15, 20 year project, but I think it it came out at the right time. Judith, thank you so much for saying that because I believe that. I mean, nothing happens before it's time. and, And look now, everyone with everything that's happened since the pandemic and the global climate. People are actively claiming their joy. And that's a beautiful thing. And especially because, you know, thank goodness we're in a situation where we can, because there are different places, things happening all around the world where it's challenging for people. And if we can be happier, then we can give back to others. Because when I think about what's happening in Pakistan, underwater, the city's underwater practically. And okay, I mi- how I missed that part, I don't know. Oh my God. Pakistan, Pakistan. is underwater. Okay. Yes, yes. Let me, I will be on Yahoo as soon as we're done. Yeah. Yeah. And then when I think about the woman in Iran who was murdered, uh, yeah. you know what I'm saying? So yeah, we have a, a, a blessed rare opportunity to get ourselves right, love ourselves and share with the world. Because now's a time I really believe where people are crying out for more 
for joy, for for love, self-love. No, no, I think so too. And again, the pandemic, I think, got people isolated enough that they thought they had time to think. You know, we didn't have time to think before. We're racing around doing a million things. All of a sudden, you're at home ordering food all day long and talking and eating and thinking, putting on a few pounds, but still um, thinking. And I think people are rede- have redefined their lives. So, yeah, I mean, you could you could spend time, anybody could spend time beating themselves up that I wish I'd gotten this out sooner. Uh-uh, maybe it wasn't time sooner. Maybe this is now the exact right 100%. time. You're addressing a need of society. And, and the book is so worth reading. So I do suggest to everybody, um, in the show notes will be, uh, the name of the book and, and how you get connected with Laverne. And it is, is this on Amazon, by the way? Yes. Okay. Amazon, Kindle, anywhere you get online books. Yes. Okay. Okay. This is really great and fun. Laverne, thank you so much. You have an open thank door you. to come back with any other projects that you have. Yes. And there are some in the works. I just can't say it right now, but trust me. Okay, that's fine. And if you want to bring any of the guys on with you that you had former, no, (laughs) let them speak for themselves. No, that could be fun, Judith. That could actually be fun. Um, But anyway, you were fun. Uh, It was a pleasure having you on. Thank you so much, Laverne. Thank Thank you. you, Judith. And I can't wait to see what you do next. I'm really excited for you. I'll let you know. I actually will stay in touch with you. Yes, please stay in touch. And for all of you, thank you again for listening. Uh, Please comment. I read everything. If you have topics that you would like to bring to me, I'm happy to bring anything back uh, to the public. So thank you all for listening. And as always, have an amicable day. That's our show for today. Thank you for joining us. Be good to yourselves, be kind to your spouse, and cherish your children above all else.